Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to have you this morning. Uh, we, uh, I'm really excited about this morning. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about this week. As Thomas told us earlier, we're uh, uh, entering into a week of prayer emphasis. Obviously, uh, we pray uh, consistently. In fact, that's going to be the uh, you know what, basically the uh, theme of this text that we're going to look at is that we are to pray steadfastly. So it's not like we just pray one week out of the year, but what we're doing is we're taking uh, this week and we're setting it aside to really press in together uh, intentionally as a church in prayer over some specific things. I'm really excited about it. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4 this morning. Uh, Colossians is, uh, if you've been following along in the one-year Bible reading plan that we've been going through all year as a church, then uh, you would have read the book of Colossians, or at least chapters 3 and 4 this week in that reading plan. Uh, Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Colossae. And this is towards the end of that letter. I'm going to give you some more context after we read the passage. But first, let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. The words will be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, But if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to the passage in your Bible. This is the Word of God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let me pray. God, uh, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning through your word. God, your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, you are speaking right now through your word. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that we would listen. Just like we sang just now, Lord, we need you. And we need your word. So God, please come. Please meet with us. Please teach us how to pray. The disciples asked you, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we come before you in the same posture this morning, asking Lord Jesus, please teach us how to pray. Help us to listen in prayer. Help us to listen to your word. Help me as I preach. I pray, God, that you would be exalted. Um, Apart from you, I can do nothing. Help us as we listen, because we can't even listen to the word without you. We can't understand uh, your word unless you give us understanding. So Lord, we we love you and we come to you expectantly this morning, knowing that you hear our prayers because we're coming to you in Jesus' name, knowing that you want to speak to us and that you want to work and move in the midst of our church and in our city. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Don't answer this question out loud, just, you know, think about the, uh, the question in your head and you can answer to yourself. Would you describe your prayer life as steadfast and constant? Would you describe your prayer life as steadfast and constant? And when Paul says continue steadfastly in prayer, what he means is that we need to be constantly praying no matter what the circumstances might be. 
Martin Luther, uh, the, the reformer, he likened prayer in the life of a Christian to breathing. Prayer, just like breathing, should come naturally and it should happen continually. Or else you may have a problem physically if those things are not taking place. The trouble is, is that we far too often have a very difficult time praying steadfastly, don't we? We live in a day and age where we don't have time, or we don't think we have time to slow down enough to pray. If you're a Christian, part of you does long to pray, but there's also this other part of you that wants to watch TV, or wants to put in extra hours at work, or wants to fill the calendar with social activities, or maybe even wants to fill the calendar with activities for God, right? like working for God. There's this, this tension, there's this pull within us. The aim of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, I think the, the, the main message of that text is to exhort us towards steadfast, continual prayer as a church. And the, the background of this letter is that the reason Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae was that at least one false teacher uh, was going around and telling the believers there that they needed to practice certain rituals and follow certain rules and, and do things like pray to angels for spiritual protection. So they were doing things like abstaining from certain foods and observing certain days and, and, and these kind of cultic ritual practices that they were being encouraged to do, praying to angels, and that was going to give them spiritual protection. And what Paul does in response is he points to the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the one who has conquered sin and death via the cross and his resurrection. And Paul is is telling them, guys, don't focus on rituals or rites or angels. Focus on Jesus. Jesus is your protection. You shouldn't be performing these rituals and these rites and jumping through these hoops for spiritual protection. You are to go to God in prayer. That is where we find our spiritual strength. That is where we find our protection. That's why we ought to be steadfast in prayer. And that's not, that doesn't just go for the church in Colossae in the first century. That goes for us today. And continuing steadfastly in prayer is is also not only is it the aim of this text, it's the aim of this sermon, and it's really the whole point of this week of prayer that we're doing as a church. What I want to do this morning during our time together is I want to show you three characteristics of steadfast prayer, or three ways that we should be praying steadfastly. Uh, There are sermon notes on the seats when you came in. Hopefully you were able to grab one. So if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes and fill in blanks, then you can do that. Uh, And then there's another handout there that we'll talk about here in a little while. Um, Don't worry about that for now. Uh, But I want to show you these three characteristics. And then I want to spend some time encouraging you on how you can move forward if your prayer life is stuck in neutral. Because I'm willing to bet there are some of us in here this morning who would say, yeah, my prayer life is kind of stuck in neutral right now. Things haven't been great when it comes to me in prayer, if I'm being honest. And I want you to know, first of all, that it's okay. And we're going to talk about how God can help us to move forward. Uh, What I do not want to do this morning is I do not want to guilt you into praying more. And that's not what the Bible does either. Prayerlessness is a sin. 
Okay, it, it is a sin. In fact, there's one of the best books uh, on prayer that I know of. By, it was written by a guy named Andrew Murray. And he wrote a book called The Praying Life. And chapter one of The Praying Life is called The Sin of Prayerlessness. And we should confess that sin and we should repent of it. But the answer in response, the answer to overcoming prayerlessness is not try harder. The answer is not be, let, let me guilt myself and beat myself into submission and make myself do the thing that I don't want to do. Prayer, just like everything else in the Christian life, is a gift of God's grace. And that includes steadfast prayer. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning throughout the sermon. Uh, I'm actually going to have you pray together. Shocking, I know. We're going to pray together in church. But what I mean by that is that what's going to happen is there's three main points in this sermon. And at the end of each of the three points... We're going to actually stop, and there's going to be prayer prompts on the screen behind me, and I'm going to ask you to gather into groups of four or five, and I'm going to ask you to pray together. If you are not comfortable praying out loud, you do not have to pray out loud. You can, you, you're more than welcome to sit there. I would encourage you, if you see somebody, uh, when we get to that point, and you see somebody sitting around you that doesn't, just, it's okay if you have more than five. Like, I'm not, you know, just four or five is just kind of like a guideline, right? If you have six or seven, hey, praise God, that's awesome, right? Um, but you don't need to feel uh, like you need to pray out loud, uh, but uh, you are welcome to, and I would encourage you to, uh, and we, I want us to gather together and lift up our voices in prayer uh, to God as a church this morning. And we're going to be praying about some specific things and I'll, we'll get to that a little later on uh, in the message. Amen? Does that sound good? Okay, cool. Um, all right, let's jump into God's Word and let's see what Colossians 4, 2-4 to teaches us. Uh, the first point in your outline, uh, the kind of steadfast praying that God wants us to do, first and foremost, is wrestling prayer. Wrestling prayer. Uh, has anybody ever uh, wrestled? Anybody uh, like a high school wrestling champ, something like that? Any, maybe, maybe you've done uh, grappling, you know, mixed martial arts, things of that nature, uh, or maybe even boxing. Well, wrestling takes endurance and intensity, doesn't it? If you've, if you've ever done grappling or wrestling, then you know how quickly it can tire you out. I remember when uh, I, I got into the military and part of our training was uh, mixed martial arts and so we uh, would spend time grappling on the ground. And I remember the first time I ever did it being really surprised at how out of breath I was so soon. You don't realize how much endurance it actually takes, but 90 seconds in and you're sucking for air if you haven't trained properly, right? It's not easy to do. So it takes endurance to be able to wrestle, but it also takes intensity, You can't just put in half effort. Paul calls for both here when it comes to prayer. He's calling us to wrestling prayer that has both endurance and intensity. Let's talk about endurance for a second. He says, continue steadfastly. You know, we don't experience intimacy with God like we want because we don't persevere in prayer. We live in an instant society, so we too often give up too soon. How many times have you lost your patience because a web page took more than 10 seconds to load? Come on, what's wrong with my internet, right? Happens all the time. Or maybe your food at the restaurant took too long to come out, and you're like, really? Where is my food? We want things now, but typically prayer doesn't work that way. So prayer cuts against the grain of our demanding flesh. Prayer makes us 
cry uncle. It, it causes us to get to a place where we have to relinquish control and wait on God. God's way is steadfast, wrestling prayer. But why does God make us wait? Why, does, why doesn't God just answer a prayer immediately and, and give us what we ask for right then? It's because the primary purpose of prayer is growing in relationship with God, not receiving requests from God. The primary purpose in prayer is growing in relationship with God, not receiving requests from God. That's why God calls us to wrestle in prayer. God wants our focus to be on Him, not on what we can get from Him. For many years, I prayed uh, as a single man for a godly wife, and I don't know all of God's purposes, but I'm convinced one of the reasons that God had me wait uh, late into my 20s was that he was teaching me to look to him and not to marriage for satisfaction. God knew that it would be bad for me and for the woman I married if I was looking to her to do for me what only God can do for me. So God gently withheld what I wanted for a time to give me what I needed. We sang that song earlier, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We sing that because it's true. And we must steadfastly pray because it's true. Wrestling prayer takes endurance and it also takes intensity. Paul says, being watchful. He says we are to be watchful in prayer. Watchfulness in prayer is all throughout Scripture. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was arrested, he would be crucified the next morning. He told the disciples, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watchfulness is is vigilance. I I remember one of the most vigilant times in my life. uh, For those of you who don't know, my wife and I moved to Canada uh, over five years ago, we started a church there in Canada, and my first summer there, I wanted to go out and just get away from everything and kind of do a, you know, my own manly adventure and go camping alone in the wilderness. And so I went like three hours north, and I, I did a hike in campsite. I was all by myself, and I didn't know anything about like wildlife in Canada. I'm from Texas. We don't have bears and things like that there. And so I was not aware that it's a bad idea to bring Pop-Tarts into your tent with you. When you, hey, hey, I didn't, don't judge me, okay? I didn't know. And so uh, I go in and I have Pop-Tarts and in the middle of the night I'm laying there in the tent and I'm, you know, kind of starting to fall asleep. It's probably midnight and all of a sudden I start hearing, you know, crunching around in the leaves and at first I'm like, it's, you know, a raccoon. And then it starts to be some pretty big crunching. I'm like, "Mm." my brain's like, that really sounds a lot bigger than a raccoon. And then it starts getting closer and that's when I start, my, my watchfulness kicked in. Like, I became very watchful. Like, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I am alert, all senses. And, like, they don't let us have guns in Canada, so I did not have a gun. Uh, I did, all I had was a machete. And so uh, this, I realize, uh, so I'm standing there, my head's like this far from the back of the tent, and all of a sudden I just hear this, <laughs> like that. I mean, right by my head, and I realize it's a bear, and I knew it. I, I, I instantly, in that moment, I knew it was a bear, and so, like, I grabbed this machete, and I legit, guys, no joke, I thought, okay, it's about to be me or this bear. Like, it's going down, you know. I was just waiting for him to come into the tent because I'm thinking, there's nothing to keep this bear out of this tent. Like, if he wants, if he wants me or these Pop-Tarts or whatever, he's coming for him. And so, I'm just, like, praying. I'm like, Lord, 
help. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I'm like trying to get signal on my phone to see, can I call a park ranger? And I actually was able to get a hold of a park ranger and that bear never came into the tent. I don't know why. Uh, you know, obviously God's hand of protection was on me, uh, but I was prepared to fight to the death. Uh, that bear with my, with my bear grills machete. This literally was a bear grills machete. But the point of me telling that story is that in that moment, I have never, I've never been more watchful than I was in that moment. I was vigilant. Every single sound was just like the intensity of that moment. I, I could have heard a pin drop in the forest right outside of my tent. I was all alert. That's the kind of praying that God is calling us to. Sin crouches at the door. Satan prowls around like a lion. And we need to pray constantly to keep from getting lulled to sleep by sin. God saves us by grace and He keeps us by grace. And prayer is the means by which God does His gracious keeping of us. We bear fruit, resist temptation, grow in holiness, all those things as we pray for it and as we pray that it would be done in others. If we don't pray for it, it's not going to happen. That is why we must pray for one another. It's called intercession. And our intercession must match the intensity of the enemy coming against us. A few verses later in Colossians chapter 4, we're introduced to a guy named Epaphras. Look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. Paul talks about this man named Epaphras who was from Colossae himself, and he was the one that actually brought the gospel to the Colossians. See, the Colossian church was not planted by Paul. It was planted by Epaphras. And Paul had never even met the Colossians personally, but he was sending encouragement by way of Epaphras, and Epaphras was bringing uh, this letter with him. So here's what it says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That word struggle is the Greek word agonizomai, where we get the word agonize, agonizomai. Can I ask you something? Does, does that describe the intensity of the way that you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Agonizomai. Wrestling prayer. Agonizing prayer. Struggling prayer. Church, if it does not, it means that you don't yet understand prayer as you ought. We don't understand how much is at stake, just how real spiritual warfare is. Jesus knew that Peter would abandon him right before he died. And Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22, he said, Satan demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus' intercession for Peter kept Peter from falling away and from falling completely into temptation. Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you praying for other Christians? Where are the Epaphrases who will stand in the gap, who will struggle in prayer on behalf of one another? I'm convinced that that is what is needed for revival, is we need more Epaphrases to rise up, to stand up. 
you know, what's cool is that anybody can be an Epaphras. You don't need to be a talented speaker or have extensive Bible knowledge or have a degree. You don't even have to have been a Christian for a long time. You just need to love your brothers and sisters in Christ more than yourself, and you need to be desperate for God. And you can be an Epaphras. This should honestly encourage us. Because many times we get discouraged because prayer is hard. And because prayer is hard and, it, and, it, and it's a struggle, we feel guilty. Like it, like it shouldn't be a struggle. Like there's something wrong with us. Well, there is something wrong with us. It's called you're a sinner and we live in a broken world. But that's everybody. There's nothing in particular wrong with you. It's something's wrong with the entire human race. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. There's a real spiritual war going on. And you have an enemy who wants to do whatever he can to keep you from praying. He hates it when you pray. He hates it when Christians pray. He would much rather have us be self-sufficient. Have you ever wondered why we're so much more comfortable getting together for a 45-minute Bible study than a 45-minute prayer meeting? Have you ever wondered why it just seems easy to kind of, we'll just kind of stick prayer on the end or... You know, yeah, I don't really, I'm just kind of, whatever reason, that part just makes me uncomfortable. I'd, li- I'd rather listen to somebody teach me the Bible than pray. Why is that? It's because there's a spiritual war going on. It's because the enemy doesn't want you to pray because there's power in prayer. It's because you're no longer depending on yourself. It's no longer you at work. It's Christ working through you when you're depending on Him in prayer. Satan would rather have you busy working for God than praying to God. Because God's power works through His people when they pray. God's power works through His people when they pray. That's why prayer is a struggle, even for Epaphras. It's especially a struggle in America where there are endless alternative options to prayer that seem a lot more immediately gratifying. In prayer, we have to slow down. We don't like slowing down. In this society, I have trouble slowing down. Prayer is a wrestling match, but those who press into it are rewarded. So don't get discouraged if prayer is a struggle. Ask God to help you. He loves to answer those prayers, and we're going to talk more about how to do this at the end of the sermon. Let me encourage you guys to pray for one another. Use Paul's prayers in his letters to help you pray. Uh, I, I, you notice there's another handout that I gave you. It looks like this. This is, this is just a tool right here. These are different Scripture passages that you can pray over one another. So you can take this home with you and you can use this to help you to pray for one another. There's all kinds of different, uh, different uh, specific things that we can be praying for other people in our lives that you can use. Um, you can also make prayer cards. I, I brought these. This is, my, uh, this is what I use right here. So I've got all... Uh, the members of the church, and then some other people, and I write their names on the front of a card and then on the back. I've just got specific things I'm praying for them, and I'll flip through a couple of them each day, right? And that's, some, that's another way that you can be reminded to practically to pray for one another. And I want to encourage you and exhort you, especially like if you're a member of this church or if you're a member of another church, you should be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are members at that church, okay? So we need to pray for one another. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to stop and we're going to practice this. Uh, so uh, we're just going to put this into practice right now. And I want us to spend three or four minutes. I want you to guys to gr- get into groups of four or five people. And I want you to use the scripture passages in that praying the Bible handout. Uh, and you can choose a couple of those passages. And I want you to pray for the people who are in your little group right there. So if you don't know one another's names, introduce yourself real quick. Um, but we've only got three or four minutes, so don't, 
talk for three minutes and pray for 30 seconds. Let's pray the whole time. Amen. Amen. We'll, uh, we're going to go ahead and move into our second point. I love hearing voices lifted up in prayer. Don't worry, we've got two more of those times to go, so we're not done praying yet. So the second, uh, the second point on your outline, the kind of steadfast praying God wants, to do, wants us to do, worshipful prayer. God wants worshipful prayer from us. Worshipful prayer. Remember, I said earlier that prayer is primarily about relationship, not requests. Prayer is God's idea, okay? Uh, God is a good father uh, who wants to hear your requests. And so although prayer is primarily about relationship and not requests, it does not mean that God does not want us to come to him with our requests. But we got to remember that God isn't like a, a cosmic Santa Claus or a divine vending machine, right? That's not uh, how we ought to treat God and relate to him in prayer. You know, if I only talked to my wife when I wanted something and I never pointed out the wonderful things that I love about her and thanked her for all that she does for our family, how healthy would that relationship be? Probably not very healthy, right? Wouldn't work out well. And too often we grumble and complain more about what God is not doing than we do spending time thanking Him and praising Him for all that He does do in our lives, don't we? And we need to season our praying with the salt of thanksgiving to keep us from cynicism. You know what cynicism is? Cynicism is when we just kind of start to get negative. It's when we start to expect the worst. It's kind of what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. Even though God delivered them out of Egypt with mighty acts and he parted the Red Sea and like they were crying out to God because they were being uh, harshly treated in slavery and God answers their cries and they've been in the wilderness for no more than a month and they uh, don't have any water and food and they start grumbling and complaining about God and to Moses saying, we'd be better off just back in Egypt. I wish that God had never even brought us out of the land of Egypt in the first place. Thanks for nothing, God, is basically what they're saying. They, they were becoming cynical. They had forgotten all that God had done on their behalf, and they had forgotten that God had miraculously delivered and provided for them over and over again, and that he was certainly capable of doing so in their current time of need when they were out of water. And he, here's, the, here's why God is so good, though. Even despite that, you know, complaining and that, uh, that cynical nature that they had and the bitterness, God still provided for them graciously. He still gave them manna, and he gave them water from the rock. Thanksgiving is the fuel for faith. It's as we gaze and meditate upon God's goodness and reflect upon his past faithfulness that we're reminded that we can trust him for the present and for the future. If we start treating prayer like a transaction rather than a relationship, we're going to become cynical like the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, ask yourself a diagnostic question. Again, this is another one of those answer this to yourself questions. Have you become cynical about prayer? Have you lost your childlike faith that God's actually going to answer prayer, that prayer actually makes a difference, that God's actually a good father who, who wants to listen to you and wants to answer you? If that's you, then let me encourage you to, first of all, uh, confess that to God today. And then to uh, 
uh, repent of it and remember who God is and all that God has done. Not just in your life, but in salvation history. Like, remember the fact that God sent His one and only Son who left heaven and came to earth for one reason, and that was to die for you while you were still a sinner. I mean, He who did not give a, spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you really believe that God has forgotten you and that God does not care anymore? Don't look at the circumstances of your life. Look back at God's past faithfulness and look at what God has said in His Word. Psalm chapter 9, verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Some of you need to spend some time recounting the wonderful deeds of the Lord rather than complaining this week. And you'll be amazed at how it will revive your own soul when you do that. And the Psalms are a great place to turn when your prayer life is, is stagnant. They can ignite your heart with love for God again. And they can help you kind of shake off the cobwebs of cynicism in your life. So let me encourage you to pray the Scriptures. Uh, we just kind of practiced that uh, just a moment ago. Uh, Tim Keller has a helpful way to do this. Um, Keller says that you should find a passage of Scripture and then you read it and, and meditate on it and write down as many observations as possible. So just start writing down observations of the passage and then ask three questions of the passage. Ask, in light of what I've just read, first of all, what can I rejoice about? What can I thank God for? In light of what I've just read, what can I rejoice about? Secondly, in light of what I just read, what do I need to repent of? Uh, in what way do I need to change? What, in what way do I need to ask for forgiveness? What do I need to repent of? And third, in light of what I've just read, what do I need to request from God? What do I need uh, based off of what I've just read? Is there something I need to ask God for? Uh, maybe it's forgiveness or maybe it's provision or maybe it's uh, for uh, the needs of somebody in my life that I love. So uh, rejoice, repent, and request are the three questions you can ask of the text. How, how can I rejoice? How can I repent? And how can I request? Uh, I found that to be helpful in my life. And um, so what I want us to do right now is I want us to take time and we're going to thank and praise God as a church right now for all he has done. So there's a few prompts behind me on the screen. Uh, there's a few specific things that I want to thank God for. It's, you, you, don't, uh, you can pray for something else besides these things if there's something you want to thank God for. But specifically, I want us to thank God, first of all, for answering our prayers for unity in our church. For those of you who've been coming to Pillar DC for a while, you know that we prayed Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, where Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We've been praying out that over this church from the very beginning because this was a merge. Two congregations came together. Usually when that happens, there's like butting of heads. Praise God, there has been no butting of heads. There's been supernatural unity here, and God has answered that prayer, so we want to praise Him for that. Uh, secondly, we want to thank God for the five people who've been baptized since we launched our church. Uh, that's what it's all about. We want to thank God for that. We want to thank God for giving us a place to gather where we can worship Him. We've got a, an amazing facility here that we get to gather in, and we want to thank Him for that. Uh, and then we want to thank God for just blessing us with the gift of one another. Uh, I just was reflecting this week, and I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm thankful that I don't have to follow Jesus alone. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ around me. Amen? So let's just spend some time. Let's lift up our voices to God for a few minutes, okay? So get back in your groups, and let's pray. So 
Man, it's, it's really cool to hear just voices all over this room lifting up praise to God. Uh, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome just to hear thankfulness and praise going up to the Lord. All right, last point on your outline, the kind of steadfast praying God wants us to do is word-advancing prayer. Word-advancing prayer. In verses 3 to 4, Paul says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul asks for prayer from the Christians in Colossae for two specific things here. First, he asks for an open door of opportunity to declare the gospel. This is really amazing because Paul is is sitting in prison, most likely in Rome, when he writes this. And Paul was so kingdom-focused that he wanted a door for the word to be opened more than he wanted the door to his prison cell to be opened. Like, that's, that's where Paul's focus was. That's where Paul was thinking. That was Paul's greatest desire. His priorities matched Jesus' priorities. Let me ask, do, is that true for you? Do your priorities match Jesus' priorities? And does that reflect your prayer life? You know, one of the marks of a maturing believer is that our prayers will slowly begin to be less focused on our own temporal needs and more focused on the kingdom of God. It's not bad to pray for yourself, and it's not bad to pray for your needs and for your temporal needs. We're going to talk about this next week. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, uh, give us this day our daily bread. So clearly, God wants us to bring our temporal needs. But as we grow in our maturity, our prayer lives ought to begin to reflect more and more Jesus's priorities and be focused on eternal things rather than temporal things. So Paul prays, for an open door of opportunity to declare the gospel, and he also prays for help in making the gospel clear as he shares it. I love this, because this is the guy who wrote the book of Romans, which is probably the most clear gospel presentation you could have from start to finish, and he's asking for prayer from these believers in Colossae to help him make the gospel clear. He's like, I don't want to screw this up, guys. Please pray for me. Paul understood that all he could do was plant and water, and it's God who gives the growth. Which means that any success in missions and evangelism can only come through prayer. Prayer fuels missions. The close connection between prayer and missions is all over the Bible. Think about Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus tells us, he says, uh, he says to the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus actually asks us and calls us to pray to him to send out more laborers into the harvest. So it's clearly God's will to send out laborers into the harvest, people who will go out and share the gospel. That's what, that, that's what he means by that. Laborers in the harvest, people who will go out and share the gospel. But God's only going to do that in response to the prayers of His people. If we don't get steadfast and continuous in prayer for the lost, they won't be saved. If we don't continue in prayer for revival, there will be no revival. Think, think about this question with me for a second. Could God send laborers or save people or bring revival without His people praying? In theory, yes, he could. He's God. But he won't. Why? 
Why has God uh, mandated that it's going to be through the prayers of his people that he does these things? That's a big question that could probably take a whole sermon to answer. But the main reason is because he wants the hearts of his people to match his own. He is conforming us into his image, which includes our desires. So he will wait to send out labors until the cry of our hearts matches the cry of his heart. So he wants to bring us to a point as a church where we're, where the cry of our heart, the main cry of our heart is, God, please, we beg you to send out laborers into the harvest in D.C. Jesus, we want your name to be known. We want your name to be exalted. We want the lost to be found. We don't want to see people perish apart from you. That's God's heart, and he wants our heart as his church to match his this week, you know, there's a few specific things that we're going to be praying about. And uh, some of the most important things we're going to be praying about is I want us to pray about where God wants us to go and who God wants us to go to as a church. We're called to make disciples of all nations. Uh, that starts right here in Washington, D.C., but we're also called to go out from here. Many of you know that we uh, are called, we, we believe God has called us to plant churches as a church. And so it is our aim and our prayer that we could send out our first church planting team by October 2020. That's a year from now. Uh, that is a, a, a bold ask honestly, uh, because it's not normal for churches to be able to do that. But we believe that God's calling us to do that. We believe he's calling us to multiply. In Acts chapter 13, um, in the church, at the church in Antioch, uh, the believers were gathered together, uh, and they were praying and fasting, and uh, the Lord spoke to them and said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And uh, Part of what I want us to do this week is I, I want us to have our Acts chapter 13 moment as a church. And I want us to pray about where is God calling us to plant our first church? Because that's not up for us to decide. We want to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And secondly, I want us to pray who does God want to go? Uh, who is God calling us to go and to help plant that church? Who's going to be that church planter? We're also asking God to show us where to partner internationally. We want to partner with an international missionary uh, in a place where there's great need. Uh, but we are asking God to show us where that might be and who we can partner with. And so we're going to be specifically praying this week and asking God to show us the answer to that question. We want to support an international missionary in an unreached place. One of the things I want you guys to do this week and this week of prayer, and this is a challenge that I want to make to every single person here in this room, especially members of this church, I want to ask every single one of you to put your yes on the table. What I mean is I want each one of you to go to God this week in prayer, and I want you to sincerely and honestly ask, God, are you calling me to go? Are, do you trust God enough to, to pray a prayer to Him saying, God, if you want to completely adjust the course of my life, I'm willing to go with you if you tell me to. I, God, I thought that this was the, the path that you, that, that, that you had me on. I thought this was the career trajectory I was to go on. I've always thought that this is what I wanted to do with my life. But Lord, if you want to interrupt things right now, if you want to stop me in my tracks and you want to tell me and show me something completely different from my life, I'm willing to go if you'll show me. Are you willing to pray that prayer? And I want to challenge each one of you to do so. I want you to be willing to say, God, change my heart. 
Like right now, I don't feel like I'm called to go, you know, overseas, or I don't feel like I'm called to be a part of a church planting team, but Lord, if you want me to, then I'm willing to let you change my heart and change my desires and change my plans for my life. I want to challenge you to pray that prayer this week, and I'm calling us as a church to fast on Wednesday, leading up to our prayer gathering on Wednesday night. So beginning Wednesday morning, calling us to fast, and I want you uh, that day to pray specifically, God, are you calling me to go, number one, and then number two, God, where are you calling us as a church to go? Where are you calling us to plant a church? What country, what nation, what people group are you calling us to reach internationally? And we're going to come together and we're going to pray at the uh, end of the evening on Wednesday night together about that together as a church. And I also want us to pray for specific individuals to get saved. Like we need to start taking people before the throne of God in our lives that don't know Jesus, that are not born again. We've got to pray for them. You know, I read a, a story, uh, a guy named R.A. Torrey, who was a, a pastor, he, uh, he wrote a lot on revival, and he uh, was relaying this story about a revival that happened in Maine, in the state of Maine. Um, and it was in a small village, spiritually dead. Uh, there was just not much going on uh, in, that, um, in that place. And they decided to pray uh, together. A few uh, Christian men got together, and they decided, we're going to start praying. Uh, and they decided to pray for the most far-gone man in the village. Uh, he was uh, a drunk and a cheat. I mean, like the worst person you could think of in the village, like the last person that would get saved, it was this guy. And they decided, we're just going to pray for him, and we're going to pray until he gets saved. We're not going to stop. We're just every single day. Well, a couple weeks later, God saved this man, and then they decided, okay, let's go find the next most far-gone person in the village, and now we're going to start taking him before the throne. They started praying for him specifically. He got saved. A year later, 200 people had come into the kingdom of God because of the intercessory prayer of this group of men, and revival broke out in this city. What would happen if a, if a, if a group this size started to do that in D.C.? What would happen if you made a list of all the people in your life that don't know Jesus and you just started, you know what, I'm going to get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and we're going to start taking these people before the throne one by one and we're going to pray for God to save them. God will do it if we'll trust Him, if we'll be steadfast in prayer, if we'll wrestle with Him in prayer. So let's, in faith, take individuals before the throne and intercede for their salvation. All right, we're going to stop and pray one more time. I want uh, us to pray for a couple things. I want uh, you to ask God to show us this week who is called to go uh, and where he's calling us to go. Uh, And then uh, also in your groups together, maybe there's some specific people that you'd like to lift up in prayer. Or maybe you just want to pray for the city of D.C. in general. I will say this. uh, (laughs) This is probably common sense, but I felt like I should say it. Don't pray specifically by name for a person who's sitting here in this room uh, that, you know, Lord, please save, you know, Orion. He's just lost and dead in his sin, Lord. Like, don't, <laughs> please don't do that. Let's have some sensitivity. Um, but I felt like I needed to say that because, you know, the one time I don't say it, it'll happen. So uh, let's go ahead and gather together and let's pray uh, for God to save uh, the lost. Let's bring it back up here as we kind of wrap up this morning. Um, I hope this time of praying together has been encouraging to you guys this morning. Um, if you enjoyed it, well, it's just a foretaste. We're going to get to press in uh, a, a good bit more on Wednesday night, so I hope that you'll come. So this morning, Colossians 4, 2-4, to 4, we've learned that we're, to, we're called to continual steadfast prayer. And we've seen that the kind of steadfast praying that God wants 
us to do is wrestling prayer, worshipful prayer, and word-advancing prayer. But we've also talked about the fact that steadfast prayer is a struggle. It's not easy. And some of you here may be discouraged and feel like a failure when it comes to prayer. Let me give you a promise to cling to. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29 says, The Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. He, he hears it. He will hear it. The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, just because I know I've done this myself, and, and I know that there's likely people in this room, there's probably some of you here who are, who are thinking to yourself, Jared, that's not much help to me. You don't understand. I'm not righteous. You, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how, how inconsistent my prayer life is, how hard it is for me to focus. That, I, I believe that promise, but I, I, I just don't think it's for me. I think it's for, for other people who are better at praying, who uh, have their Christian walks more together than I do. It, you would indeed have a problem if you were trying to come to God in your own name. But you're not. Or you shouldn't be. Romans chapter 3 says that none are righteous. No, not one. That means that for anybody trying to come to God in their own name, yes, it doesn't work. That promise can't apply to us because all of us are on level playing field. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And we shouldn't uh, expect and nobody deserves to, to be received by God in prayer or to have their prayers answered by coming to God in their own name. But that's why we come to Him in Jesus' name, not our own. It, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel there. He says that we might proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that we are unrighteous and deserving of God's judgment, but that God the Father delivered up Jesus for rebels and sinners like you and me to die on the cross for our sins as our substitute. And Jesus died, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And even when you forget to pray and your prayer isn't steadfast, guess whose prayer is steadfast? Jesus's. He doesn't stop, see, and he does not cease to pray for his children, for his saints. That's why we can come to God in confidence. So you may feel unworthy to pray, you might feel guilty. You might feel like you deserve judgment. And apart from faith in Jesus, you are. If you are here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, then you truly are separated from God and you can't come to Him. But that can change today. And I would encourage you to, to do so. All you've got to do is confess your shortcomings to God. Confess that you're a sinner. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. And you can come to Him freely, clothed in His righteousness, without any guilt. And He will hear your prayers because the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous, whether you feel like it or not. The mystery of the gospel is that by faith in Jesus, we are counted as righteous. So that promise, the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous, that applies to every single person in this room who has faith. Everyone, no matter how inconsistent or messy your prayers are. So come to him with your messy and inconsistent prayers. Let me read an illustration kind of close from Paul Miller's book uh, to help you feel the weight. Um, 
Paul Miller wrote a book called A Praying Life, and it's probably the best, most helpful book on prayer I've ever read outside the Bible. I'm just going to read you this quote. It's an illustration. He says, imagine you were a poorly dressed beggar, reeking of alcohol and body odor. You stumble into the palace of a great king, and you, you have become your prayer. And as you approach, the guards stiffen. Your stench has preceded you. And you stammer out a message. I want to see the king. Your words are barely intelligible. But you whisper one final word as the guards recoil. Jesus. I come in the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, the palace instantly comes alive. Guards snap to attention, bowing low in front of you. Lights come on and the doors fly open. You are ushered into the palace and down a long hallway into the throne room of the great king who comes running to you and wraps you in his arms. Asking in Jesus' name is a gift from God because our prayers are imperfect. That illustration that I just read you, that's what it's like when we come to God in Jesus' name. We might feel like the, uh, the beggar that reeks of alcohol and body odor, and in a sense, we are. But when we come in Jesus' name, heaven snaps to attention. God comes running to us. He hears our prayers, and He embraces us because He doesn't see the beggarly clothes. He doesn't smell the stench. He just sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So is your prayer life imperfect? Guess what? Mine is too. Don't be afraid. You're not coming to the Father appealing to your own worthiness. So ask your gracious Father in heaven to help you learn to pray. He's patient and He is good, and I promise you that He loves answering prayers like that. This week, let's press in together in prayer. Uh, I would love for you to join us each morning. Part of our week of prayer is that at 6.15 each morning, we're going to get together on a 30-minute video call just through Zoom, and we're going to pray. Uh, if you can't make it every day of the week, that's great. If you can make it for one of those days or three of those days, if you can do it on your commute, just you know, hands-free, be safe, don't break the law. But uh, you can call in, and we'd love for, we just want to spend some time starting our mornings together in prayer this week. Uh, so if you'd like to do that, make sure you... Uh, if you haven't gotten the link for it yet, it's in the announcement emails. Uh, if you haven't gotten an announcement email, fill out a connection card and drop it in the box when you leave, okay? Um, let's prioritize this, though, church. Let's prioritize this. All right, I'm going to ask uh, the worship team. They're going to lead us in a closing song. So why don't we uh, stand together and let's close out our time of worship with a song of praise. Mm-hmm.